Hello and welcome to episode 49 of Command Space on the 5x5 Network. My name is Mike Hurley and I am joined today by Mr. Ellis Hamburger of The Verge. Hi, Ellis. Hey there. How you doing, buddy? I'm very well. How about yourself? I'm very well. It's absolutely great to have you on the show today. Well, thanks for having me. So, Ellis, Hopefully what... I uh, sound okay. I'm coming off of a cold. Uh, if, I'm, if I'm too nasal, I apologize. I've got the same. It's like the WWDC flu because you were there too, right? Oh, so we're both kind of compensated to like the same same kind of tone of voice. So, so we're good. So people won't even notice. Yeah. <laughs> so, Ellis, why don't you tell tell the listeners what you like to be known for? Who is Ellis Hamburger? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I like to think of myself as one of the nice guy reporters. Maybe the nice guy reporter. I don't know. I. Uh, it's tough. It's a tough industry. You know, it's very cutthroat, uh, especially since companies are locking down harder and harder on the kind of leaks that get out and the scoops that, that emerge from uh, any given company. And that's not my expertise anyway. I just try and be the guy who loves product, which I do, and um, use that to tell stories about really passionate people. And that's really what it's all about for me. I mean, the reason I'm doing it is because that's what's the most fun, um, which is convenient. Uh, so I think of myself that way. I love to write about passionate people building great stuff. That's me. Couldn't get any better than that. <laughs> so, on a, on a, fortunately, a lot of those people, like uh, app developers, are, are easy to get in touch with. <laughs> well, they want they want your coverage, right? They want yeah. the Verge's coverage. <laughs> I think it can it can be pretty hard to uh, to uh, get access at, at you know some bigger companies. So that's one of the reasons I started. Uh, writing about iOS apps is because these guys are always on Twitter ready to talk and, and you know there's a really great level of trust between everybody in the community and so I think it's good good for everybody it's a win-win let's talk about how you got to where you are because you know you write full-time for The Verge now but mm -hmm. you know people don't just roll out of you know school one day and get a job in, in fancy New York City right so how did you get into to, to writing online? Were you a blogger, a journalist? Like what got you, you know, what was your sort of first break? Let's see. Well, I've always been the kind of person who, uh, you know, some people when they approach opportunities, they go with the shotgun effect. You know, they could be a smart, intelligent person. They could shotgun and send out applications to 100 companies and, and, uh, and take that route. But I've never really been like that. I always picked something that I was interested in and tried to calculate all the correct steps that it would take to get there. And I think that applies to just about anything in your life. It kind of all started with like playing The Sims for me on computer. And uh, I mean, I think I probably had the most fun building houses. But I mean, sure, once you make a house, you fill it up with some Sims and you start upgrading their abilities. And, and it's pretty obvious how to upgrade their abilities. You know, let's say you want to get smarter. You, uh, you know, you take this step, you build a library or you want to, uh, be more fit. You buy a uh, buy a workout machine. Obviously, buying things is a lot different than improving your skills. But I really liked that step based approach. And um, back in college, it all started when uh, I was I was at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, and uh, I was going to be a financial advisor because I didn't really know what else to do. And I, I love talking to old people. Uh, I don't really like money very much, but really, that's that's being a financial advisor uh, to some extent. Or at least that's what I learned from uh, my boss at Merrill Lynch. And, you know, it was a great job, but I really wasn't very uh, passionate about the actual content. And uh, <clears throat> after that, I was thinking about maybe doing marketing. But then this uh, life-changing event happened for me. I was recommended 
this program um, called NELP, the New England Literature uh, Program. I, it might be Project. I always forget. And uh, essentially it was six weeks in uh, kind of rural Maine um, in New England. And uh, basically what it was is there was no electricity, no phones, no computers. You just had uh, a couple lamps in the dining hall and uh, basically headlamps and candles everywhere else. And all we did for six weeks was uh, read some of the transcendentalists um, like Henry David Thoreau. Walden uh, was a big backbone of the program. And uh, no class you were in was bigger than four or five people. And it was essentially just this awesome summer camp for adults that you somehow got school credit for. And uh, really all you were graded on was your participation in, in the classes, and which were amazing because it was 40 kids, 13 teachers, and you really got to know all of them uh, one by one, especially since nobody's checking their phones, and, and, uh, which was really magical. And so really all you got graded on was uh, journaling, as Thoreau did in Walden, and uh, kind of to what degree of introspection you could get to uh, was really how they evaluated your personal progress. And it was the best six weeks of my life, um, which is kind of ironic because, you know, my life is completely saturated <laughs> with technology today. But um, really what I learned was that, you know what, this isn't, I mean, you only got one life to live. And, uh, and I decided that I wanted to do what I thought was most fun. Not necessarily what I'd always wanted to do, but what I did was uh, I'd read Engadget and Gizmodo every single day of my life, a hundred times a day. And uh, by that time, I'd pretty much trained myself to kind of think uh, with a sense of humor and with the perspective that I thought they had. And so what I did once I got back to Ann Arbor senior year was uh, join this magazine called Lead Magazine, which was just getting started. And it was online and in print. And uh, I essentially convinced them to let me start a tech blog for normal people about um, I had a serial, uh, a serial, uh, a series called Trick Out Your Mac where I talked about Mac and iPhone apps. And that's really where it all started for me. I hadn't met any developers yet, but I wrote several blog posts. I applied to, um, <clears throat> I applied to uh, Gizmodo and Business Insider and I didn't get the Gizmodo internship. I got the Business Insider internship, and I started working under uh, my still good friend Steve Kovac at uh, Business Insider. So uh, that was a ton of fun. That was a really amazing learning experience for me because I'd never been inside of a newspaper, uh, you know, in the modern sense. I did newspaper in high school, but it was very different. You know, I was working on Quark Express, laying out your uh, laying out your pieces that you spent a month writing and. You know, I was a lot more into the bloggy stuff. So I'd write, you know, three to five articles per day at uh, SAI, um, which really helped me connect with so many people. And I started off doing gadgets a ton. Um, personal favorite, probably the uh, Lumia 800. It's one of my favorite gadgets ever. And I got to cover that for BI, which was a ton of fun. And uh, I realized that the gadgets were fun, but so few of them came out. Uh, so they came out so infrequently that I... Uh, couldn't get amped up about it every time, you know, whether it's the Lumia 900 or the Lumia 928. You know, I'm not, I, I, I don't care about writing two reviews about those two phones. And uh, what I started doing was reaching out to app developers I really liked. The first two I reached out to were uh, Dom Leka at Sparrow and uh, Paul Haddad at Tapbots. And, uh, you know, I kind of grew close to those guys, just talking to them all the time. And it was uh, 
it's a great relationship that I think I have uh, until today where it's kind of like, you know, you test apps, you give feedback, you talk about what you like and what you don't like. If you're really lucky, Sparrow for iPhone comes out and there's a button that, you know, was thanks to you or there's a bug that was fixed thanks to you. And that was just a ton of fun learning about all that stuff while providing feedback. And um, so eventually I switched my focus to writing about apps and about Facebook uh, since those were the two things I liked writing the most about. And uh, that's kind of how I got to where I am today. Sorry if that was long-winded. No, that <laughs> was great. Story. Like that, I, in doing my, my research about you, which you know any good interviewer will do, I yeah. knew about the, uh, the university stuff, but the, that, the program that you mentioned you know, the, the six week program that obviously, you know, I haven't found out about that. And that's really interesting. Like to get like basically a, a nearly two month period where you were switched off from the world was what got mm-hmm. you into writing about technology. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's funny cause, uh, I got to witness at the verge, Paul Miller do the same, uh, to a little greater extent. Uh, he's, he's a social guy, but he's liable to retreat. I think, uh, to be alone, and I'm not really like that. Uh, you know, at Melp, we were all sitting in groups all the time. You know, we spent some time alone, but uh, we were always with other people. So I think we had a little bit of a different experience. Uh, but, yeah, it was, it was an incredible experience. I remember uh, so vividly getting back on the bus on the way home from Maine. And uh, we all had these shoeboxes where we put all of our, our, uh, our personal effects that had any electrical aspects, and I remember lighting up my uh, iPhone 3GS for the sa- for the first time in six weeks, and thinking to myself, "Holy shit, that screen is so bright and colorful and sharp," and uh, I couldn't even believe it. And you know, now of course you, you take it for granted, but um, um, yeah, it was it was a pretty amazing experience that really changed my perspective. I think. Yeah, I bet. Like, uh, I can imagine that when Paul is saying about switching off, you're like, "Yeah, been there, done that." Yeah. <laughs> welcome he, uh, welcome he to 2006, guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that was man. Oh, you know what? That was. Uh, did you just say 2006? Yeah. I actually graduated in. Uh, I graduated college in 2011. I guess so. It's, yeah. When was it then? When did you? I guess it was in 2010, spring 2010, so I think. wasn't that long ago. Really? So, yeah, it really wasn't. I, um, I've only been doing this for a little over two and a half years, two years, I guess. So how long have you been at The Verge? Been at The Verge about a year and three months. <clears throat> so you said that you, you, know, you read Engadget and stuff, so you, know, you must have been fans of, of Josh and Eli and that. So how did, I was. How did it come about for you? Like, how did you... Did you just apply to like a like a call for reporters? How did you get, how did you land your position that you've got? There? Well, I'll tell you a secret. Um, now it's going to be a not so secret, but uh, I would like to tell it because it's a funny story. I uh, <clears throat> uh, my friend Noah, who I worked with at Business Insider, Noah Davis. He's a freelance writer. He's a wonderful guy, um, and he was actually covering the launch of the Verge and Box Media, and he had an invite. Uh, to the Verge launch party, which of course was going to be pretty swagged out and a lot of fun, and I wanted to meet some of my idols. Uh, really, it's funny, I didn't know the names of very many journalists uh, or bloggers before I got into it, but I did know Josh, and I knew, uh, knew Walt Mossberg, and I knew a few other people. <clears throat> and so I actually 
pretended I was Noah and went to the Verge launch party. <laughs> and uh, a couple of my colleagues were, were invited, so it was fine at Business Insider at the time. And I kind of stood from afar, you know, looking at everybody and taking in the whole scene and, and uh, you know, a lot of these people I really admired. And I didn't realize Josh was seven feet tall, so I was a bit more intimidated than I was initially thinking I was going to introduce myself to him. And so I saw him, you know, ahead above everybody else in, in the midst of a group of people at the other side of the room. And uh, I kind of waited for him to make a move to somewhere, maybe the bathroom, maybe another group of people or to the... Uh, meat and cheese table, but I caught him in the middle and I, I kind of grabbed him and I really, you know, I didn't want to take too much of his time. I just wanted to say, hey, Josh, I'm Ellis Hamburger. I've been reading you for so long. You're one of the reasons I got into tech journalism, and uh, which was true. And he said, wow, that's like the nicest thing I've heard from anybody tonight. And he asked about what I was doing and I told him and, uh, you know, I didn't try and try and make a pitch or anything. I was just trying to say hello. And introduce myself, and uh, I've always thought that that approach really is is so fruitful. Uh, just when you're making friends or business connections, and uh, a month later, he uh, he emailed me saying he was looking for a reporter, and wow. uh, I think I'll always remember um, that subject line hitting my inbox from Joshua Topolsky. It said, "Subject would love to talk," and my stomach just hit the floor. <laughs> Um, I mean, I'm a nervous guy in general, and so uh, so I didn't start working there for for some time later for another few months. But uh, that was kind of the start of our relationship. And uh, he he essentially told me he uh, he couldn't pass up the opportunity to have somebody with the Twitter handle Hamburger on staff. So I think that was the main reason he he uh, decided to hire me. I love that story because mm-hmm. it's one of those like you didn't go in and you weren't like. Hey Josh, here's my business card. Like he emailed you as well, which I kind of like. Like, you know, that's that's a nice, that's sort of like a good guy done well type, you know, type story. That's a, that's a nice one. You could, we could make a little like straight to DVD movie about this. <laughs> yeah, like I said, that's always really been my approach: is just be nice to everybody and be sincere. And um, I think people don't give each other enough compliments in the real world. I mean, people for some reason feel like it somehow. Uh, will suck the energy out of their ego by complimenting somebody else. But, I mean, really, if somebody's doing something that you really love or they're building an app that you really love or or they're hosting a show that you really love, like, tell them and tell them sincerely. And, you know, I, I think it really makes makes a huge impact on a lot of people. And, I mean, apparently it did on Josh. So I'm sure that, you know, since working at The Verge, which is, I think probably the the best tech blog out there at the moment you know Thanks. it's it's, it's num- i think it's you know as it's at the, it's at the top i think of the tree um, <laughs> and I, I wonder you know i can only imagine that your life has changed quite a lot since taking a job there though this will probably be a difficult question unless it's something that sticks right out but do you have like a thing that's happened like a moment that's happened which has been your favorite you know over the last year and three months has there been like some sort of maybe event you went to or an interaction that you had with someone that was like, wow. Mm. I think it could have been at uh, WWDC uh, last year. That was such a, a wonderful moment for me. My, um, my good friend Phil Ryu, uh, who's a producer and developer in the uh, iOS app community, he had a little dinner for some of his favorite people that I was invited to. 
And this was the first time I'd have the opportunity to meet so many of the people that I'd talked to online in person for real for the first time. And it, it really, like, for lack of a better word, consummates a lot of those relationships uh, in a way. And you really you realize that these people are real people. You know, it's like when you look at uh, when you look at People magazine and you see a celebrity and then you see them on the street, you're like, holy crap, that person's actually real. They don't just exist online or on TV. And I got to meet some great people. I got to meet Dom from Sparrow for the first time. I got to meet Paul from Tapas for the first time. I met Danny from Path. I met the guys from Real Mac. I met Phil for the first time. Uh, who else did I meet at that party? Um, it was just a ton of fun. And it was such a warm, loving, enthusiastic community uh, that really affirmed my decision to cover them. I mean, part of the thing about covering hardware, which I was doing at BI, is that a lot of these passionate designers and developers are, are hidden, completely hidden from you. And there's no way you're going to talk to them. I mean, I think a lot of companies have realized recently that it's to their advantage to highlight some of their hardware designers. Or, I mean, Apple knows better than anybody with, with Johnny Ive. But uh, uh, that was one of the reasons I, I liked software so much is that these guys were so easy to access, yet they were building things that were really just as influential on my life. Um, like, you know, let's say Mike Simmons building Fantastical, which I use all day every day, or... Or Paul Maine, who's who's making Day One, which is a journal app, which has helped me continue uh, what I learned to do at Nelp. And those things are huge parts of my life, and that's kind of one of the things about the iPhone that I think has been amazing is the way that it kind of lets you access all these different tools, just you know, a little square on your on your <laughs> digital screen. And it was cool to kind of put put some faces to the. Uh, to the icons for those apps, if that makes any sense. It makes and, total uh, sense. Yeah, it really like humanized it. And you know, when you look at a, uh, let's see, if you look at the the transparency over the day ticker on Fantastic Alpha for iPhone, that's like a, a Michael and Kent flexi bits thing. And it's just, it's like reading something from your favorite novelist. You see the little touches that are so... Uh, so so specifically that person or that developer, and it it was really nice to just not be talking on Twitter and to be having some drinks and eating some pizza and, yeah. and hanging out in person. And it was like I had these friends the whole time, but but never actually in real life. So I think that was that was a wonderful moment for me. That is like exactly. I mean, yeah, we're entering that territory where people are like, "I hate you guys," but that's exactly what it was like because WWDC this year was my first. WWDC as well uh -huh. and I got to meet people that I've worked with for a long time um, you know and just people that I've been friends with online for years we got to meet yeah. for the first time and and it really does change your perspective because mm -hmm. like these aren't just Twitter people anymore these are actual human beings like I can see them they're real who'd you get to meet that you uh, that you connected with uh, Dan Benjamin five by five you know, Merlin man I got to meet the amazing Alice Hamburger um, <laughs> Just the kind of can't you know, believe I was mentioned in the same sentence as those two guys. Wow, you, you know, <laughs> it was it was great to meet you. You know, I got to see like Marco and and John Syracuse and you know, the the list is endless, really. You know, for me, yeah, and it was it was amazing. It was an absolutely great time. Mm -hmm. We mentioned you, you mentioned sort of interacting through um, little squares, and we spoke about Twitter, and you have like a a personality. On, on Twitter, especially, that really intrigues me. 
and, it, and it has done for a while and I kind of I wanted to ask you about it and and I don't really know if if it has a name or if you've given this a name but like you tweet in low caps <laughs> like there's no capitalization and and little grammar in your tweets and yeah. it makes us I find the, I find it very entertaining and I wonder where did this come from uh let's see it's tough call. It's like it's part weird Twitter. Um, <laughs> this is something that's become that I'm finding out about weird Twitter. Um, one of the, one of the hosts on, on our, one of our shows, Bionic Matt Alexander, uh-huh. um, he he tries to educate me in things like subtweeting <laughs> and tweet canoes, and I have no idea what he's talking about. And then he mentions all the time. I don't know what a tweet canoe is. Apparently, a tweet canoe is <laughs> is when say uh, you know when somebody like will tweet you and there will be like four other people in the conversation and then the conversation continues you're not involved uh-huh. but you're you'll keep getting mentioned and it goes on and on and on yeah apparently this is called a tweet canoe interesting this... everybody's in the canoe and can't get out exactly <laughs> and he, i like that and he you know he'll say something he'll be like oh have you seen such and such and i'm like i have no idea what you're talking about he's like oh it's on weird twitter so what mm-hmm. is weird twitter well, the funny thing about weird Twitter is that it's kind of like Fight Club. It's like it's considered bad form to talk about it um, because you ever see the Funny Bot episode of South Park? No, I'll find it for the show notes. Now. Yeah. So uh, in the so, anyways, I think the Germans on South Park they're tired of getting made fun of um, and everybody telling them they have no sense of humor. So what the Germans did was they created this perfect robot called Funnybot that tells great jokes. Um, anyway, Funnybot decides to that blowing up the world would be the ultimate joke, so he decides to do it. And in order to, uh, in order to stop him, the South Park guys, they, uh, they take the same tactic from the movie War Games with uh, Matthew Broderick, and they decide to confuse him. And the way that they confuse Funnybot is by telling him that he won a comedy award and Funnybot gets on this like eternal loop and eventually explodes because he says, cannot accept award because accepting award means that I acknowledge that I take humor and comedy seriously. And he says, but I can't, you know, I can't do it, cannot compute. And uh, I feel like it's, it's the same thing. It's like, it's total ch- cheesiness to talk about like weird Twitter with any sense of like intentionality. Um, because then it kind of ruins the authenticity of it, right? But, um, I mean, as long as you, like, go right back to doing it and you pretend like you never had this conversation, um, it's fine. But, I mean, for me, it's, like, it's not weird Twitter to me. It's just kind of funny. Like, I think Twitter, I mean, when I was at NELP, I wrote a lot of poetry, and I've always liked poetry. And and, um, one of the reasons I like poetry is because of the constraints it imposes upon you. Uh, you know, you're not writing a novel, you're writing 16 lines or 10 lines and you really have to make every word count. And, uh, I kind of just use Twitter to write like micro, micro thought, modern poetry, um, just about like whatever I'm thinking or whatever observations are going on. And, um, I think it probably, I don't know, it's hard to put a finger on it, but the other, (laughs) I think it may have happened when I added my hamburger avatar um, that David Lanham so kindly drew for me. Uh, because once you remove your face from it, you're kind of an entity. Um, and you can, you know, like Batman, you can take whatever shape you want. And uh, I always, like, struggle with having an avatar of my face or having an avatar of, like, a symbol or something else. Because 
by adding like a smiling face to it, it makes you like cheeky somehow, and it kind of it kind of makes it unfunny. And uh, so I think that may have been when I got started on it. But you know, it's tough to answer your question. I don't really know uh, why I, I do that or or whatever. It's mostly just like observations about the world um, from my perspective, and I try and mix it up, you know, with with tweets about about tech stuff I think is interesting but um you know clearly some some people think some of the some of the random thoughts I'm tweeting are, are funny and I mean it may, it makes me happy to to put that stuff out in the world cuz I think it's funny and also cuz I don't want to forget it um so yes that's why I do that <laughs> and you are a lover of gifts yes I am now i i have a new favorite gif what is it i discovered this whilst also uh, researching you <laughs> on your about page oh <laughs> <laughs> there is a, a gif now i rem- i think i remember this video it's it's from a verge video i think it was when you guys moved to your new offices yeah and there was like uh, your was your office manager was t- t- doing a tour video yeah, it was our office manager Lorian was doing like a 90 seconds on the verge while walking through the new office and uh you were sitting at a desk, and you you as as people are waving, you turn around and make a facial expression. You know? <laughs> yeah. I had to do it like ten times. It was really lame. <laughs> we shot that like so many times. It was, we couldn't get the moving camera working, and it just I just kept like making the face worse and worse and more comedic because I was just so tired of smiling. <laughs> so I'm um, people need. I feel like this is something that needs to be seen to, un- to be understood. So I'm going to put it in our show notes, and you can find the show notes for this episode at five by five dot tv slash cmdspace slash forty nine. Um, so I must ask you: Do you have a favorite GIF or a, a um, GIF at the moment that you love? Let's see. There are so many. <laughs> <laughs> do you keep them? Like, do you oh, have yeah. them around? Then, like, yeah, I have an enormous. Rip. I have an enormous folder. I actually, what I can do, I can send you uh, um, a GIF I made of a screen of a my Google Plus GIFs images folder. Um, so anyway, Whoa. when the new Google Plus photos came out, I uploaded a bunch of GIFs, all starting with cat, into a folder in Google Plus and. But, like it was incredible. I looked at the folder and all the gifts were animating at the same time. Can't imagine what he was doing to my browser. Um, but it is so absurd watching twenty cat gifts at the same time. But um, oh man, there is. Let me see. There's this one I really really like uh, called. I call it cat. Well, I have to come up with descriptive names for all the um, sure all the uh, all the gifts so I can find them. And so I call it cat feed, and it is this woman in a sea of cats throwing out cat food just into the into the sea of cats, and these cats are everywhere, jumping in every direction. And that's like one of the things about that's great about gifts is because they loop, you can really focus on a, one tiny part of it yeah. uh, over and over and over again. Um, whereas you might not be prone to do the same thing with a video. So I'll have to send that one to you. Most of, them, most of my favorite gifts involve cats. I would like to see those. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm going to take a quick break for our sponsor now. So you can feel sure. free to dig them out so, I can, so our listeners can see them too. I will. So our sponsor for this week is Squarespace.com, who give you absolutely everything that you need to make an amazing website. Squarespace, they just give you all the tools that you need to create 
maintain a blogs a blog website portfolio business maybe you want to site for your business maybe you want an online store they are a fully hosted completely managed environment that allows you to take care of all of this it doesn't matter how experienced you are when it comes to building websites it doesn't matter what skills you have or what experience you have because you can build something amazing in minutes without having to worry about hosting design coding scaling or integrating with other services like twitter facebook instagram Flickr, and many more, because you get all of these things built right in. They have beautiful themes, they feature responsive web design, they're really clean, they let your content do all of the talking, and they don't look like a stock theme from like, you know, random blog creating service. They're all beautiful, really professional looking themes. You go to a Squarespace site and you can't be like, oh, Squarespace site. You know, you can't, it doesn't like just jump out and scream at you because they're very understated. They look fantastic and you can customize them too. You can create your pages to look however you want. And you can do this with their drag and drop page building tool called Layout Engine. So you can drag and drop different parts of like maybe you want photos, videos, text, social media stuff, and you can drag and drop them around the page. And using their WYSIWYG editor, you can change colors and fonts. They have Typekit fonts built in, Google fonts built in. So you can make your website your own space. They have statistics, they have iOS and Android apps, they have Squarespace Commerce where you can add a store to your website, blog importers, 24-7 customer support and so much more. If you've got a project or you've got a friend or family member that wants to start a project online, Squarespace is the place for them. You can sign up for a free trial and find out more information at squarespace.com. Squarespace plans start at $10 a month for their standard plan. And use the code 70decibel 6 That's 70-D-E-C-I-B-E-L-S-6 when you sign up, and this will give you 10% off your first order. So go check out Squarespace, everything that you need to make an amazing website. So working with The Verge, you get to, you know, you get to cover big stories, big companies. Um, and recently I've seen yourself, you've, you've been able to cover some big stuff at Google and Facebook and it tends to be around the chat services. So I remember you covering some of the Facebook Messenger stuff um, well, with the stickers and the Google Hangouts. And if I remember rightly, you had like articles and videos that came out on launch day. So you got to see these things maybe a little bit early. And I kind of wonder how, how important is it like for, for a site like The Verge to have that sort of access? I think it's really important. And um, it not only shows to the readers and to the companies that we really care, but I think it also allows us to really show the world what we can do. Um, I mean, one of the things that was so appealing to me about The Verge, I remember when it launched... I was just drooling all over the keyboard, like <laughs> looking at the video content and the typefaces and the color palette they were using and layout. And I was like, man, this is like the real deal. Um, this doesn't look like any other site. And this is all, you know, so much care and attention to detail was put into it. And, um, and one of the things about those pieces that you mentioned is that, uh, you know, this is just, these types of pieces come from talking to these companies over time and, and we write good things about Facebook and bad things about Facebook and good things about Google and bad things about Google. And same with any other company. And I think that uh, a lot of these companies realize that we care so much about uh, providing a great story for the readers, but also about just trying to be honest and, and tell a great story. And they like that we're so focused on the products that they're building 
and we have a great video team that they really trust and that they know will do a good job. And uh, our design team is also incredible. You know, they can do parallax scrolling. And for, for Facebook chat heads, they did actual pop-up chat heads on the, uh, on the images. Yeah. So I think, you know, it definitely makes it easier on us when we can make an article look that good. These companies say, man, that, that, was, that was beautiful. Like, can we at some point in the future um, maybe collaborate on something? And, you know, we're not going to do it for something, for a product that isn't cool. Um, but if there's a story, a great story that we can tell, um, like for uh, my favorite one I've done so far is about redesigning Google uh, that I did with Dieter Bone, and that one was our idea. And uh, we said to them, we want to talk about your guys' design. All your apps all of a sudden don't look like shit. Like, what's going on? Um, so they said, all right, come on an adventure we know you guys will tell the story well. And you know what? There are parts of that story that they didn't want us to tell, but it's our duty to. I mean, you might not, you might not know which parts they didn't want us to tell. But, um, you know, it's not like with access like this, companies are, are always super thrilled with everything that you discover while you're there. But they know that we're going to do an honest job and a good job and make it look damn good. Um, so I think that that's a huge part of our identity as the Verge is to be able to deliver that whole experience. Um, and, you know, it's, it's tough because in a way these types of pieces are an investment. Um, how much money does it, you know, cost to send us out there and do it with video guys and, and designers and such? And when you translate it to pure page views, like it's probably not technically worth what you get. You know, let's just have Josh write an embargo about how I or Josh write an editorial about how iOS 7 design is, is total, you know, mess uh, right after the event. And that's going to get a lot more page views and he'll just have to sit at his computer and do it um, versus flying us all out to California. But it's like it's an investment in our brand and it's also a ton of fun. And um, I think it really gives us an opportunity to stretch our legs beyond just like blogging. It's like one of the things that always appealed to me about The Verge is that it kind of felt like Wired Magazine with as much effort but just on the web. And I think that the big features are a part of that. One of my favorite things, or my favorite thing about The Verge is the videos. Um, yeah. Because I, I'm quite a distracted reader. Like, So when we've when there's like a really big article like that, like all of the ones that you've mentioned actually, and, and I remember the redesigning Google one, and I put that in the post, uh, in, the, in the show notes too. You know, when I see an article like that, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to read it. How daunting is this? Yeah, and then, but then, you know, I always look for and hope for like the videos, and and that right. that's and so then I watch those, and I feel like you get, you know, you get a lot of the, you know, maybe not everything, but you get a lot of like the good content, and I find them just like really, really fun and like really engaging, and that's what I love about the Verge is the amount of, um, the amount of work that you guys put into that. I'm glad you think so. It's uh, I, I had to adopt a little bit of a new work ethic when I got to The Verge. I mean, even something as simple as uh, taking a screenshot of an app. So, like when you look at um, when you look at an article about an app, if you look at the main photo, when you're showing an app about email or about to dos, like what do you put on screen for your main photo? And once I got to The Verge, I realized, you know, what? I'm going to put in a bunch of fake shit so the screen looks good. And um, that's the kind of level of detail that you see in the Verge videos as well. 
And, um, you know, everybody, everybody really keeps themselves working that hard, which is great. And uh, we also know that everybody watches the videos and doesn't always make it even halfway to the end of the post. <laughs> but you're giving choice, though, which I like, you know. What'd you say? Like, I like that it's like a choice. Like, yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's tough. You know, we spend so much energy on the written and so much energy on the video. And, you know, probably most people make it to the end of the video or at least watch. I'll bet you people watch more of the video than they do percentage-wise of how much they've read of those big features. Um, and there is a choice. But it's, uh, it's tough. I mean, it feels like everybody's increasingly becoming impatient readers. And that's fine. It's just uh, how we can keep providing it. And also, certainly, I think people feel good about thinking they're reading long form. So when you, when you, like, you get these, like, you, know, you go and see these exclusive stuff, you go and see stuff before it's launched so you can you know, get your coverage you know, ready and stuff, do, do you find it difficult to keep stuff secret? Like, you know, like, I've seen this amazing thing, but I can't tell you anything about it. Um, not really. I think, I mean, it's generally just a week. Uh, in advance. Right. Um, I mean, I guess some apps I'm beta testing for, you know, months, but uh, probably the hardest part is just to forget the stuff you'd normally do, uh, like take an Instagram with the Building 43 logo when you're at Google. Sure. Uh, that's something that, or check in at a local restaurant or, or what have you. Um, those kinds of things are like indicating that, oh, maybe you're out there and you haven't told people or you're doing something secret and then, you know, people start to wonder, or other journals start to wonder. Does that happen? Um, yeah, it does. So, like, journalists, I don't know, ABC Tech Blog is, like, they're a friend of yours on Foursquare. And then if you're a Mountain View, they're like, oh, he's at Google. Oh, why is yep. he at Google? And then they maybe start looking around for stuff. Or asking Google. <laughs> <laughs> uh, say, hey, uh, so, you know, what you guys got in the pipeline or whatever. Um, but, yeah, it's it's uh, it can be a challenge, but... I think that you're so excited about what the final product is going to look like, uh, both for this company and how hard they've been working, and for you that, you know, why would you want to spoil it? That's what I don't understand about people who leak things. I mean, like I said, I'm not really a scoop reporter at all. Um, I mean, I think part of it is that I'm just generally friends with, with uh, you know, happy, honest people who probably aren't going to betray their colleagues by leaking something. But I've never really understood the, uh, the psychology of that. Um, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not a leaker and I don't understand why anybody would be. Um, but yeah, that's not too much of a challenge for me. It's, it's more just excited anticipation. One of, one of the big things that's in, you know, in tech journalism now, maybe, maybe now more than ever, I, I would like to understand, I'd like to hear your opinion on that, is the exclusive, you know, this is exclusive mm-hmm. or, you know, we're the first to get this, this is the first hands-on you know, I'm, I'm starting to see some sites say eyes on now, which I find really strange. Um, <laughs> how important is it to be first and to have exclusives and to have the first hands-on? That's a tough question. I mean, the readers expect it no matter what you think of it. Yeah. Um, so especially with hardware, you know, you want to be the first. But in terms of exclusives, are you talking about like a, like a scoop about some, you know, like let's say Chris Ziegler's scoop about HTC kind of falling apart a little bit yeah, or yeah, something that, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that stuff's really important for your reputation uh, as, a, as a, a news site. I mean, that's kind of how you build the foundations of, of what you're trying to be is on great, great writing and great content. And not only that, but like information's worth more than anything. Um, it's funny, I always, 
I always think about, well, one of the people I met at WWDC was uh, Mark Gurman, and uh, he's a writer at 9to5Mac, and he seems to be the most well-connected uh, Apple blogger in the English-speaking world, at least. And uh, I, you know, I always wonder about how he gets so much information, and, and uh, it's amazing. You know, he, he's, a, he's a totally fine writer, but uh, it's, it's almost, it's like it's very obvious, you know, the information is worth so, so, so much. And they bring so many new readers to their site because they're generally the first to have a lot of this information about uh, iOS SDKs or upcoming features or the serial number on Apple's new battery, which could mean that it has 15% more battery life. And uh, that's what really gets people to bookmark your site is, you know, it's one of the few things, uh, you know, great features or great videos uh, or, you know, you're the site that has the quickest, most up-to-date, or first information. Um, so we try and balance all those things, especially since, you know, in the age of surveillance that we live in, leaks are becoming less and less and less uh, common. So with that, it's harder to cover your tracks. Like that sort of stuff comes with sources, right? So it's sources that give that information. I mean, mm-hmm. what do you, do you, like, I don't know if you ever have sources, but, you know, I'm sure that The Verge does, but, like, how do you have like a scale for how you consider this person to be reliable? Like, do you like contact other sources, or you know, do, does do you give certain people like they're more trustworthy that sort of thing? Um, to be honest with you, I focus more on uh, on the honest stuff, like the stuff that we know is coming, the stuff that people want to talk about and are going to personally trust this information to you because they want you to write a good story and they want you to experience the product i really like if 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 a rumor or something comes my way um you know i'll ask around and see if it if it seems like the truth and if i could write about it without jeopardizing any relationships that i have but i mean that's that's a part of uh, being a journalist that i don't really like as much because i feel like almost publishing uh you know not only is leaking betraying somebody but um let's say you're at a party uh and you hear something and you publish it, and all of a sudden, nobody wants to be around you anymore. And um, you know, I don't really want to be one of those people, and, and I have no desire to be. Um, I know, uh, I know. Yeah, that was what I wanted to say. <laughs> no, that's. I mean, that's perfectly fine. I mean, it's, it's if as you, you kind of. I feel like this has been like a theme throughout this episode. Like, it, there are different types of reporters in technology and yeah. you're a lot less like the person who's digging through Chinese websites finding new parts and stuff you know right so, I really just like the relationships that I've developed with a lot of people building the things that I use every day and like that's the most fun part for me is like looking at my home screen right now let me look at it and I know the people who make Snapchat and Clear and RDO and the Google app and Facebook and Mailbox and Today Weather and Sunrise and Fantastical and Foursquare and <laughs> the designer who did Google Maps and and it just goes on and like that was kind of one of my goals is to know everybody on my home screen and uh, it, that's just the most fun for me you know it, it could be fun to publish a scoop but the most fun for me is just like being a part of the community and uh, and and hearing about the intentionality behind these products that I use every day. I mean, it's like it's like watching a behind the scenes for a movie you like. It's really not any different to me. So, what's next for Ellis Hamburger? It's mm, a good question. Um, 
Well, it's been about two and a half years doing this, and I shifted topics like I was saying. I love writing about, um, I, I started writing a lot about Spotify and RDO, and I like writing about music apps. I like writing about Facebook. I like writing about iOS apps. And um, as, long as, the, as long as the hits keep coming, I'm going to keep doing it because that's the stuff that I'm personally using. And, uh, you know, it's funny to me in, in a way an article is like it's an article you're, you're communicating to the reader, but it's also kind of in a little way like bragging, right? Like, hey, check out who I got to meet and the conversation I had with them about the app that you're using, yeah. you know? And, uh, and it's, it's a ton of fun to learn about that stuff. So as long as people keep making great apps, um, I mean, apps are... You know, if I look at my room in New York, there's really not much in it. I have some books and I have a desk. And, but most of the things I'm using all the time are on my computer or the iPad or the iPhone. And um, when it's the stuff that you're using all day, it's just fun to learn about it and, and fun to say, hey, why don't you have the ability to sort by date in this view in your app? And they say, oh, that's a good idea. Maybe I'll add that. And um, having that kind of relationship is really fun for me. So it's tough to say what's next because I think I'm always going to like writing about the products that I care the most about. Um, but, uh, but yeah, oh well, I, I guess I could share with you my, um, my ultimate goal is to be just like Stephen Levy, um, the master superstar interviewer at Wired, not only because of the people he gets to meet and the access but just in how long he's been in the industry, how much context, how much insight he has for any single thing that happens, it reminds him of 10 things from the last 15 years. And uh, that just seems like such a blast to me, um, to be able to spend your time talking to some of the smartest people in the world and hearing about why they're doing what they're doing and what type of responsibilities they feel uh, to their users. And uh, so I think you know, interviewing and stuff like that, maybe on video, is, uh, is where I'm headed next. Well, you're on a good trajectory. Thanks, Mike. So, Ellis, where can people find you? Where, how can I keep in touch with what you're up to? Um, I'm mostly on Twitter, at, at Hamburger. <laughs> and uh, I have a Tumblr, which I generally post my favorite stuff that I've done or gifts that I like or miscellaneous Instagrams. And that is EllisHamburger.com. Awesome. Ellis, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. I've really enjoyed it. And so next week on the show, I'm going to be joined by Tim Stevens of Engadget. What about that for a double bill? So uh, I'm sure that will be a fun episode, so make sure you tune in for that. I am on Twitter and all of the social places that you would like to find someone. I am iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thank you very much for listening to today's episode of Command Space. Thank you very much to Mr. Hamburger for joining me. And uh, thank you all for listening. Until next time, bye-bye.